Well, this morning I'm going to be reading from 1 Peter chapter 5. So you can find that on page 1203 in the Bibles in the chairs. 1 Peter chapter 5. As we're looking at the 10 marks of a healthy church, we are now looking at the mark, the characteristic of a healthy church where we pray for and seek to have leaders who are faithful to God's word. So we're looking at the different sections of scripture that lift up what it is that God has leadership within the church to be faithful to him. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting at verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Let's pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, we are so grateful that you do care for us. You care for us that much that you'd send your son, and that you'd raise up those who would teach and instruct us in your word and in your truth. Father, we pray that you give us wisdom and discernment in this time. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to hear your word, understand your truth, and live to your glory. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. At the end of 1 Peter, Peter the Apostle is trying to encourage, trying to lift up, trying to support those who are going to be in the positions of elders, of overseers, in these churches throughout the areas where these letters are going to go. He knows that they are going to be challenged with suffering. He knows they are going to face persecution. He knows they're going to face opposition. As we looked before, we went through 1 Peter. Many of them will lose jobs, will lose homes, will lose all that this world has to offer because they stand for Jesus Christ. So in the midst of that context, in the midst of picking up their crosses and being willing to lose everything of this heaven and earth, 
for Christ's sake, for his kingdom, to have their eyes fixed on him, in that context, he is encouraging these leaders. He's encouraging these elders. He's trying to build them up, support them, and encourage them with all the means that he has. And what's the greatest way Peter can encourage them? He speaks to them in a way that elevates them and equates them with his own apostleship. Amazing. This is Peter. Peter the apostle. Peter, one of the twelve, who walked and slept and talked and witnessed the miracles and went through his life, those three years with Jesus, so close, learning. And this is the Peter. This is the Peter that Jesus came to even after he had fallen, even after the denial of Christ. And he spoke to him and he said, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Tend my sheep. This is the Peter that he builds up to encourage. This is the Peter that once the Holy Spirit fell in the book of Acts on Pentecost, who preached and proclaimed and was willing to die, willing to lose everything for the sake of Jesus Christ. This is the Peter who went to the Gentiles and learned what it meant that there's salvation in Christ for Jew or Gentile, that those barriers and walls and distinctions fell apart in Jesus Christ. And this is the Peter that Jesus himself told that his end would be the end of martyrdom. That he would lose his life for the gospel. So this is the Peter who's speaking in this chapter toward the end of the letter where he's trying to build up and encourage these elders, these overseers with God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit. So you see this in verse 1. It says, where Peter speaks to him, he says, and to my fellow elders. That's where Peter the apostle is saying that he is also an elder. He is an elder with them. And he's raising them up to that wonderful opportunity of service and sacrifice for Christ's sake. How do we know Peter's words carry so much weight? Because of this. He says that he is a witness of Christ's sufferings. And he will also partake in the future glory of Jesus Christ. That was the main theme throughout the entire book of 1 Peter. Suffering for Christ's sake. Suffering for the gospel. Being willing to lose everything for Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ becomes your treasure. That he becomes your everything. That Jesus Christ becomes more beautiful to you than anything else. And if Jesus Christ is your treasure, if he is what you prize the most, if he is what you long for the most, if he is your passion, if he is your desire, if he's the focus of everything in your life, then you can lose everything else. Because it doesn't even compare. You you don't even miss it. 
when Christ is your everything, when He's more beautiful, more glorious, more wonderful. So that's what Peter is lifting up here. Oh, he witnessed Christ's sufferings. He was there when Jesus was mocked, when he was challenged by the Pharisees, challenged by the religious leaders. He saw the suffering of Jesus Christ who so humbled himself to be born, to walk this earth. He saw. He understood the sufferings of Christ. And he understood what it was when Jesus spoke to him and the other disciples and said, pick up your cross and follow me. To look at the sufferings of Jesus Christ tells us of what it is to be willing to lose everything and give up everything for Jesus Christ. And to be willing to walk the same path of suffering because the path of suffering and sacrifice on this heaven and earth in Jesus Christ and in Him alone is the path of future glory. And that's where ultimately Peter's eyes are fixed. That's what he says in verse 1. He witnessed the sufferings of Christ and he will also partake in the future glory. How is it you're able to continue faithfully in Jesus Christ through such times of persecution, pain, and suffering is you know that that is not the end. That Christ will come back. And when He comes back, oh, how glorious. How wonderful. There's a reason why in the book of Revelation... In the book of Revelation, you go through and you get toward the end there. And finally, oh, this is it. This is it. Finally, you have the new heaven and new earth coming down. You have the new Jerusalem. And then you have this scene where God himself comes to each of his children. And what does he do? He wipes away Every tear. Finally, no more pain. No more suffering. No more hardship. No more persecution. Finally, all that is left is glory. The glory of the Father, the glory of the Son, and the glory of the Holy Spirit. And all those who believe in Him, who trust in Him, who are in Him, you partake of that glory. Finally, the King of kings and Lord of lords is on His throne for all to see, and there will be no more sin, no more pain. Nothing will be in rebellion anymore. So that's where Peter has fixed his eyes. And that's where Peter is fixing the eyes of all these elders and leaders and those who will be raised up to serve Christ, to teach and to serve and sacrifice for the body of Christ. You see this often. You see this in the book of Acts where they talk about this witnessing and, and testifying. In Acts chapter 10, 
In Acts chapter 10, you see this starting in verse 40. But God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. You see this again in Romans 8 where Paul Paul describes this understanding of in the midst of suffering, having your eyes fixed on the future glory of Christ. Romans 8.18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Not even worth comparing. That the brightness and the beauty and the amazement of the glory of Christ and what He has done on the cross for our sins. That He would take the sins of those who believe in Him. That He would bear the wrath that we deserve on Himself so that we could have forgiveness and grace and mercy. That is glorious. It is beautiful. It is more than we could ever hope or imagine. So you see where verse 1 sets that foundation. Peter's saying this, that if you're going to be an elder, if God has called you to serve in that way, then just as he witnessed the sufferings of Christ, you too will pick up your cross and you will follow. But where you follow is to a glorious future. A glorious future at Christ's return. So with that foundation, with our eyes fixed on the cross, with our eyes fixed on the empty tomb, and our eyes fixed on the return of Jesus Christ, he then gives these instructions as we looked in Timothy and we're going to look in Titus and as we're going to look in Acts, these different areas of instructions where he gives these qualifications, he gives these characteristics, he's trying to describe what should be at the heart of those to whom God raises up for these positions. So we see this in verses 2 and 3 and then again preparing Again for verse 4. So we see in verse 2, he talks about these, these two different things. That if you are an overseer, if God has raised you up to be in leadership in the church, then it must not be under compulsion. It must not be something that you are forced into. That you think you must do. That you do grudgingly. Because all that is, is misery for the one serving and those who are under that person. It doesn't work that way. So Paul says it can't be from that. It can't be from compulsion. It can't be a must. But if you're going to serve in that position, it is one of willingness. One of joy. One of looking humbly to God and saying, use me, guide me, and strengthen me. Because that is, as he says, what God wants. 
God wants us to serve out of a willingness. Remember, that's the whole structure. That's the whole purpose of the Heidelberg Catechism. The Heidelberg Catechism, it begins with where we are to learn our misery. The misery we are in because of our sin. Once you learn of your misery, then as the Holy Spirit makes you alive to believe and understand your misery, then you come to know and believe your deliverance. How you are saved out of that misery. Because of Christ and what he did on the cross, taking our sins, the wrath of God, being our substitute, being the sacrifice on our behalf. But then what does that deliverance produce? Gratitude, thanksgiving, hope and joy and love and a life of grateful service to God. So that's what we see here where where Peter is saying that if we are going to serve in these positions of leadership, it isn't out of compulsion. It is out of gratitude. It is out of thanksgiving. It is willingness, knowing that we've been saved by grace alone. Therefore, we seek to extend that grace and love to all those around us. That's what's at the heart of this. He goes in verse 2 and he says again, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Again, the emphasis is on a desire a desire to serve in this way, a desire to sacrifice in this way, a desire to die to oneself so that the people of God could be built up and know Christ better. But not for shameful gain. Not as a way, as we said last week, to feed on the sheep, but to feed the sheep. Not as a way for your own advantage and your own opportunity to take, but as an opportunity to give. On the night before Jesus was betrayed, he washed the disciples' feet. He didn't pick their pockets. There's a big difference there. He humbled himself to the most low degree to show them what it meant that he's going to go to the cross, the most shameful way to die. That's the example given. That is the Savior. And if the King of kings and Lord of lords is going to do that, how much more is he calling us to pick up our Christ, to wrap the towel around our waist, and to wash? That's that's what's speaking here. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And then verse 3, not domineering over, not lording over, Not as an opportunity to exert your pride and your stature and your grandeur over another person. Forget it. That wasn't the way Christ did it. And that isn't the way we're called to do it. Not domineering over, but as an example to the flock. An example of sacrifice, an example of service, an example of dying to oneself. We see this throughout the scriptures, this understanding of sacrifice and service. As I reference the domineering over, 
and I referenced the shepherding of the flock, I take you to Acts 20. Acts 20, starting at verse 28. Here's where Paul is speaking to the elders of Ephesus, and he's not going to see them again. He knows this, and this is his last time with them. And we're going to be going, Lord willing, into more detail in this passage next Sunday. But I just reference this, this verse of 28 today. Where Paul's encouraging these elders. He's saying this, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained With his own blood. So that's how precious the church is to Jesus Christ. He shed his own blood. He died on the cross. He gave himself so completely. So how much more is that that the leadership of the church would give of themselves completely? Not domineering. Not for their own purpose and gain. But in a sacrificial serving way. Ultimately, the call to be an elder, to be an overseer, to be a pastor or leader or deacon or anyone serving in that capacity of the church, ultimately that call is a call to come and die to yourself so that you will know the glorious life that there is in Jesus Christ. And again, where does Peter focus our eyes in verse 4? Back to Jesus Christ. That's where he keeps redirecting us. In the return of Christ. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive. He's speaking to those who will faithfully serve Jesus Christ. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There's glory again. Unfading crown of glory. Because ultimately, we have a chief shepherd. You see that in Ezekiel 34? In Ezekiel 34, where God promises. In Ezekiel 34, where the prophet Ezekiel is speaking out against the people of God. Because so many of the prophets, so many of the leadership of the people of God had turned away from God. And were not good shepherds. So in Ezekiel 34, the prophet speaks, verse 15, here's God's words. He says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. The chief shepherd is returning. Therefore, we strive in gratitude and thanksgiving to serve him. Knowing that our ultimate treasure is nothing on this earth, but our ultimate treasure is him in his glory, in his glory alone. So if that foundation of of God calling and equipping 
we see in verses 5 through 7, 5, 6, and 7, where he closes his section with this thing of humility and pride. Humility and pride. We see this in verse 5. He speaks to the younger. Therefore, the younger be subject to the elders, to those who are older, wiser, to those who are matured in the faith, to submit, to be subject to them, to look up to them with reverence and honor, to learn from them and be in a position to gain from the wisdom that God has given them. And then verse 5, he speaks to all the people in the church. All of you are to clothe yourselves with humility. That's the key word that drives this whole passage. Humility toward one another. We see this in 1 Corinthians 9. The Apostle Paul makes clear, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable reef, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So in this race, this daily race that we're faced with of dying to sin, of seeking Christ, of giving him glory, of rejoicing that we've been saved by grace alone. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. It's by God's grace alone. And we rejoice in that and are grateful for that. And through that, we run this race with our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. And what we clothe ourselves is humility. Humility. That's very important. Because elsewhere in Scripture, it says to put on Jesus Christ. And if you are going to put on Jesus Christ, you're putting on humility. You're putting on sacrifice. You're putting on service. You're putting on a desire of obedience to God the Father, to the power of the Holy Spirit. Then you see Proverbs 3.34 quoted there. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then he says in verse 6, Humble yourself. Let God exalt you in His timing. In His timing. That's the key. What trips us up so many times in the church, what trips us up as believers, is when we want to exalt ourselves and our timing. That's what causes so many issues. That's what causes so many troubles within marriages, within relationships, within the church, at work, at school, wherever we are, it's when we want to exalt ourselves. We want to exalt ourselves. But ultimately here it says if we humble ourselves before God, he will exalt us in his timing. In his timing. 
And ultimately, again, Peter focuses up to that ultimate timing. There's this moment in Scripture where it talks about the faithful gathered between, before the throne. And God looks at them. And we're standing before the throne and all's been laid out. You have the book of life and, and everything we've ever done, said or thought. It's all laid out there before God. And He looks at us. And what we deserve and what's all written and captured, every thought, every word and action, all written out there, what we deserve is eternal destruction. But for those who are in Jesus Christ, for those who are in the Son, who believe and trust in Him, you have this moment in Scripture where God looks at us And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. (laughs) You could spend the rest of your life trying to grasp that moment. That is the exalting that's beyond our comprehension. We humble ourselves. We leave it to God. He will exalt us in His timing. That takes a lot of trust. Knowing that His ways are good and better. And ultimately in verse 7, how He ends it is this. Cast, throw, hurl, whatever word you want, all your anxieties on God. Give it to Him. Let it go. Throw it to Him. Cast it to Him. Pray it to Him. Hurl it to Him. All your anxieties, whatever struggle, whatever difficulty, whatever pain, whatever doubt, anything that you are facing that is shaking you and rattling you and challenging you, give it to God. That's what this says. Give it to Him. You don't have to carry that. Give it to Him. Why? Because He cares for you. He's your Father. Your loving Heavenly Father. Who cares for you that much. He's always listening. Always able. And always willing to bring about His plan and His goodness and love into your life. It's a beautiful thing. Peter's talked about being an overseer. And ultimately, he's showing us the overseer. God Himself. And he leaves us with this image of the prodigal son. Remember that story? The wayward son who takes everything the father gives him and throws it away. Destroys it. And finally the son comes to his senses and says, if only I could be a servant in my father's household. If only he would take me back. And as he's coming, what's the father doing in that story? 
just searching the, searching the hills, say searching. And as soon as the father sees the son, what does he do? Runs, throws himself on the son and welcomes him back and shows him grace and love beyond what the son could ever understand. Why is that? Because he cares for you. He loves you that much. The father in that story, what does he tell him to do? Go and sacrifice the Go and sacrifice the lamb, prepare a meal. So here we see this father, this God that we can give all our anxieties to because he's given his son, Jesus Christ. He's given his son, Jesus Christ. The son has taken his wrath for all those who will believe in him. So come to him. Cast all your anxieties on him. Believe in him. Why? Because he cares for you more than you could ever hope or imagine. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you that we have your son, Jesus Christ, as the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Father, I pray for our elders and deacon, all those in leadership and service here. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to give our lives for your glory, to die to ourselves so that your son would be lifted up higher and higher. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.